Welcome back. We're in episode 52 and the start of my tenure at the University of Texas at Austin after a very rewarding assignment on the air staff. One thing you continue to wear from the air staff is a badge, which is rather nice, and I'll post a photo in the episode photos. Following the assignment, I also earned my third Meritorious Service Medal at the midpoint of my commissioned career. Of course, I realized that going from the air staff to the ROTC assignment was going to be quite a big change. As I've done with each assignment, I need to provide a bit of background to illustrate the lay of the land. The episode will start off with how the staff and student body was organized, highlighting how it was very different from the traditional students at UT, as well as a quick look at the overall program and where the key locations were on the UT campus. It's a unique assignment for an Air Force officer, and as I mentioned two episodes ago, there is some amount of hesitancy to take assignments because it is often considered the end assignment for the Professor of Aerospace Science, otherwise known as PAS or PASS. The most senior on the staff is usually a lieutenant colonel or a colonel, with most being full colonels, and UT is a colonel billet. In comparison, the other two main commissioning venues for officers are Officer Training School that I went through or the United States Air Force Academy. Those assignments are viewed as premium assignments and promotable ones as well. It's not that the ROTC assignments are less important as more officers are commissioned through that venue than others. My view was that the importance of the staff is to provide the best possible start for the graduates as they enter the Air Force and be a positive representation of the Air Force, both in the community and on campus. More on that later. With that, let me share how the staff is organized. The past serves as the department head and professor on the academic side of the job and as commander for the military side of the job. The next in line is the Commandant of Cadets. While many detachments may have three and some four officers, we had four. The other positions were Education or Academic Officer and the Recruiting Officer. I was the Academic Officer for about half the time of my tenure and Commandant of Cadets for the other half. The pass makes a determination of which positions the staff is assigned, and typically, but not always, The Commandant of Cadets is a second most senior officer on the staff because they also serve in some ways while not titled as the Deputy Commander. The PASS is afforded academic rank of full professor, and the others are typically assigned as assistant professors. As we look at the professoriate, faculty start as assistant professors and after about seven years are eligible for promotion to associate professor and tenure. Some move on to full professor, and some remain associate professors for the remainder of their academic careers, depending on their institution. In ROTC, assistant professor is aligned across all the institutions. One of the unique benefits is that the president of the university generally grants academic rank, and so even as an ROTC instructor, academic rank is like currency across all accredited institutions. And you'll see why this is really important in the next episode. The staff also includes administrative personnel. We had two enlisted members, both mid-grade NCOs, and one civilian administrative specialist who was a university employee. The enlisted members are responsible for student management 
records, and in my view, serves as the glue that keeps the detachment running very smoothly. So here I am. I arrive and meet the pass, who was Colonel Kalar. Here is my introduction to the detachment. Welcome. Right off the bat, he says, So you have a doctoral degree in education, right? Yes, that's correct. Well, this is the documentation over the past decades that we've tried to get academic credit for and have been unsuccessful. Can you do it? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, let's see. Higher education is my area of expertise, and I've been successful with hard-to-do tasks. And I also realize I have no experience with working academic issues on a university campus. So, I say very confidently, of course. The pile of folders that he had on the desk was at least a foot high, and it went back more than two decades. Oh, by the way, you'll also be teaching the seniors. <laughs> so that was good to know. Each person has a year group to teach. The pass had the freshmen. I think the recruiting officer had the sophomores. The commandant of cadets, called the COC, had the juniors. And then I had the seniors. I grab the stack of files and take them to my office, which is on the second floor. Air Force ROTC was housed in the same building as the ROTC detachments for the Navy and the Army. The main offices and the recruiting officer were on the first floor, and the classroom and the other offices were on the second floor. In the basement, there was a cadet area called the hangar, and this was their space for socializing, planning projects, and building camaraderie. The building was called the Russell Steinman Hall, known as RAS. The building's namesake was an Army Lieutenant recipient of the Medal of Honor from his service in Vietnam. He was commissioned from UT in 1968. Luckily for us, we also had parking near the back dock of the building. As you likely know, parking on any campus is not just a premium, it's a precious commodity. And we didn't even have to pay for it. As a side note, RAS was torn down in 2010, and I actually visited the new building a year or two ago, and it's an absolutely beautiful modern building that houses quite a few departments as well as the three ROTC programs. And as nice as it was, my sense was that having your own building would be a bit of an advantage in some ways due to the type of the program. RAS had its own flagpole in addition to the university flag and the ROTC detachments would take turns putting up the flag at dawn and taking it down at dusk as part of their military training. UT was originally built on 40 acres set aside by the state, and the nickname has prevailed and part of the UT culture. As I recall during my tenure, UT was the second largest four-year university in the United States measured by undergraduate enrollment behind Ohio State University. In the last data available, Ohio State is today 5th and UT 8th. The main focus of the campus is the UT Tower, located centrally on a small hill. The tower houses the main administrative buildings, and when you're lost on campus, look up and get your bearing from where the tower is. Our building was just two-tenths of a mile from the tower. Next to RAS was the university gym, called Gregory. That was convenient for working out and also for the cadets to change and shower after PT. Walking to the end of the campus toward Guadalupe Street was a post office. 
I maintained a mailbox there to get my mail, and it was also only about a quarter mile from RIS. And you'll see how that becomes important later as well. The other most significant building on campus was the LBJ Presidential Library, where the LBJ School of Public Affairs is jointly housed. Outside the library is a very large open area, and we had permission to do our military drill or marching practice on that location. It worked out really well because we needed an appropriate surface and otherwise would have to find a parking lot which would be impossible or tie up a street which also would be impossible. So that's the lay of the campus and I'll post a map in the episode photos highlighting each of these locations. With that in mind, the ROTC students are called cadets and are issued uniforms. Freshmen and sophomores wear black shoulder boards with their cadet rank being one diagonal stripe and two diagonal stripes, respectively. This is very similar to the shoulder boards worn at OTS, while very different from those at the Air Force Academy. Then, as juniors and seniors, they have leadership responsibilities in the cadet wing. The cadet wing is designed to mirror an Air Force wing in an organizational structure with a cadet wing commander, group commanders, and squadron commanders, and flight commanders with a corresponding rank that you see in the Air Force. Each cadet has a wing job and wears shoulder boards with stripes aligned to that of naval rank, like OTS. The COC has responsibility as mentor and advisor to the cadet wing commander. Perhaps the most challenging part of that role is you're really there just to mentor and advise and not to tell them what they're supposed to be doing. Cadets are also issued PT uniforms or physical training uniforms as well. Cadets attend all official activities like PT, leadership, and classroom courses in uniform. All of these activities are added requirements to their normal academic experience. In addition, they participate in recruiting events and attend field training between their sophomore and junior years. This multi-week activity is an immersive program that must be completed in order to continue as an upperclassman in ROTC. There are some cadets that are eliminated from the program when they don't make satisfactory progress at field training. And I'd note that ROTC instructors from across the U.S. are required to serve at least once at field training during their tour. This gives the Air Force a chance for cadets to be assessed by more than the staff at their respective detachment, and that certainly is a benefit for the Air Force. Recruiting events occur all year round, but primarily in the summer, and there are many of them at UT, high school recruiting events, and job fairs. And we also had the responsibility to recruit from satellite schools at St. Edwards University, the Austin Community College, and Houston Tillerson University, which is an HBCU, or Historically Black University, all located in this Austin area. When students came into those programs from the other institutions, they would have to come to UT for all of the ROTC functions and activities and classes. And this was a huge additional burden. Plus, they didn't have the opportunities to mix with the other cadets like those that went to UT had. We didn't have a lot of students from these institutions. We did have some. We had two recruiting officers during my tenure, and both were very creative, and they worked to make the events somewhat fun for our cadets, and creative, realizing his job was to recruit and connect with prospective students who were significantly younger than he was. Phew, that was a lot of information, I know. 
Well, I will build on and remind as we go through the next episodes. I think you'll see how this all fits as we move forward. Back to my project. Now you can see that the cadets had a lot of responsibilities, and with little exception, they didn't get any corps or elective credit toward graduation. All told, there were the equivalent of about 24 credit hours of instruction over four years, and this didn't count the time for PT, recruiting, their wing jobs, or field training. No cadet activities were conducted at the detachment during summer, and while it's not full immersion like OTS or the academy, it's very demanding on these students. The single exception at the time was that some government students got credit. Partially for one class, woohoo! Since students were coming out of high school with an ROTC scholarship, they're generally for four years, and with the additional time, it's a huge challenge and often requires summer school courses and/or seeking an extension to graduate. Extensions are always a bit of a challenge because by the end of the third year, the Air Force is counting on these cadets being commissioned. And filling slots across the Air Force, and this is why the project that Colonel Kalar gave me was so important. If you're wondering why it took so long to get nowhere, it's not only this, but keep in mind that colleges and universities, by and large, are quite liberal, and on some campuses, ROTC programs are tolerated for federal funding. In addition, faculty don't see the program at ROTC. As having the same academic rigor as their classes, some don't even know that there are classes. They just think they march around doing whatever. At UT, the Navy and the Army were also interested in my project because they too needed their cadets and midshipmen to get credit for their programs as well. If I could get success, it will save tens of thousands of dollars a year, as well as helping cadets complete their education in just four years. And move on to their Air Force careers. I had to learn how the process worked, and it was a unique labyrinth to work through with lots of routes that had a giant wall, many giant walls. As the academic officer, initially, I got to get a full picture of the scope and program of the entire Air Force ROTC program and the academic rigor that we had at the time. Moving into class, my predecessor was a very laid-back major who taught the seniors, and by now you know laid-back are not two words that typically describe me. As with any organization, a new assistant professor coming in, and the students are searching for as much information as they could about him or her. I was no different. Quickly, they saw that I had a doctoral degree. And that raised some cadets' spidey sense. In addition, I was coming from the air staff, and that was also pretty unique because most come from base level jobs. Lastly, they knew that Colonel Kalar gave me the academic credit project, and so the rumors were flying that I would be more like a regular professor. I looked at my predecessor's files, and when I saw that one of the tests had Donald Duck as one of the possible correct answers. And another test had Santa Claus. Well, you get the idea, and maybe you also see why some professors don't see the academic rigor in ROTC programs. The wild rumors got back to me, and so I decided I'd have a little fun with it. 
I walked into the classroom that first day carrying about ten very thick books, a couple of file folders, lots of papers, and set them on the desk in front of the room. The eyes on the cadets were huge. I'm sure they were thinking, what are we getting into our senior year? I quickly dispelled the rumors and I shared that I had heard them. At the same time, I think it was pretty clear, pretty quickly, that even still, it wasn't going to be the senior course that others had experienced when they saw my syllabus. I was really glad that I was teaching the seniors because it was similar in many ways to a course in national security strategy that one might experience in the School of Government. In addition, having the broader experiences at two major commands and the air staff, as well as my overseas tour, I felt comfortable that I could also bring a lens that would help show why the course was important and how the organization that they were about to become part of was going to be like. Part of the course was also about preparing for their accession into the Air Force and what they could expect as a new second lieutenant transitioning from college. For me, in addition to have a professorial experience, it became my own college experience. After all, I never was on campus full-time through my entire academic career, and in many ways, this made this assignment both so much more rewarding personally, as well as the opportunity to provide mentorship to future leaders of the Air Force. For many cadets, even more than half, their goal is to become an Air Force pilot. That's where my experience was lacking. On the other hand, the pass and one of the instructors were both pilots, so that helped organization a lot. Having said that, for some cadets, this was a childhood goal. For some, it was legacy because they were the child of an Air Force pilot. And for some, it was a more recent personal goal. Recognizing this, and in fairness, it is the Air Force after all, there was a large component to the Air Force cadet wing that had this in mind. The hangar had photos of the Air Force aircraft with a heavy emphasis on fighter aircraft. The wing mirrored an Air Force operational wing that had a flying mission. And once a cadet had a pilot or navigator slot, they were allowed to wear flight suits as a uniform of the day. And that was a big deal. With all of this in mind, they were also exposed to some of the customs and traditions in a flying squadron. Now, being a support officer... This was truly an area that I had no perspective on. This became quite evident not long after my arrival to Austin. I'm enjoying a restful night's sleep and all of a sudden I hear a concerning noise. And it sounds like it's coming from above me and I don't have an attic. Is there someone on my roof? It's not Christmas time and it can't be Santa. It must be a burglar? You know I've had more than one experience with break-ins, and I'm pretty nervous from that experience. I have no weapons. You know I really need to buy some golf clubs. I do have a fireplace, but since I never plan on using it, I have no fire poker either. So I'm gingerly trying to figure out what's going on. From the episode photo last week, you can see that the house has a pretty steep roof line. So I also know that I'm not going up on the roof. Plus, I don't have a ladder, nor do I want to confront anyone on the roof. Finally, I see people, quite a few people. Wait, some of them look familiar. Are they cadets? 
I open the front door, and indeed, what are they doing at my home? And more so, why are they on my roof at the wee hours of the morning? They are welcoming to my new position, and it's called a roof stomp. By tradition, a roof stomp is to welcome a new commander of a flying squadron or other high-ranking officer by stomping on the roof and banging the windows. Those in flying units know about this tradition and are prepared for it in some way because what the tradition is is that they're invited in for refreshments. Since I didn't know of this tradition, and I'm also a single guy, I really don't have refreshments. If I remember correctly though, some did bring some refreshments on their own. Anyway, as my heart rate comes back down, they tell me of this tradition. And I sure wish Colonel Kaylor had told me about it as well. There have been situations in the Air Force where roof stomps have not gone well, mostly because the person didn't know that the tradition existed, and some of those that were roof stomped had a weapon in their home. The cadets come in with their donuts and orange juice or whatever they had brought with them. Anyway, remember, I lived in a new part of Circle C Ranch. As often is the case with new developments, the roads are not on mapping sites on the internet. And so being creative, cadets who sometimes do crazy things, they called the fire department. After all, the fire department knows where all the new streets are, right? They explained what they were doing, and I'm guessing, or hoping, the person who answered may have been a veteran, alas, and they actually gave them directions to my house. They could have been mass murderers. How did someone on the phone know? Anyway, that was my welcome to the cadet wing and the raid officer's tradition that I was truly not aware of. Years later, when I became a commander, I didn't get another roof stomp. Oh yeah, it wasn't a flying squadron. In addition to seeing that this assignment would be like no other, I also learned that Austin was a great place to live. It's known as a foodie place, and indeed it is. Many places have eclectic menus. And one of the famed streets in Austin is 6th Street, which is the college happening area where many food and drinking establishments reside. Lake Travis was maybe 30 to 40 minutes away, and Canyon Lake was only two hours or so away. And I was familiar with Canyon Lake because it was an MWR program there that was run by Randolph Air Force Base. My home was nice, I was in a nice community, and unlike my house in Hampton, there wasn't any need to worry about home repairs since it was new. On the other hand, I had real landscaping to care for. Oh, by the way, in the hot Texas sun, and that part wasn't great. The other part that wasn't great that I had lived in an apartment while I was in Washington for the last five years, so I quickly learned that I needed a lawnmower, a weed eater, shovels, rake, oh my goodness, it went on and on. That wasn't in the fine print. Now, I wasn't in the backyard that often, and one morning, I go out on the deck and start down the steps into the backyard, and I'm screaming, probably like a frightened little schoolgirl. I run into the house and shut the door. I lock it. In the backyard, there is a relatively large snake skin. What that means is that there is an even larger snake somewhere out there. My yard is fenced, so there's no place for this very dangerous critter to go. What do I do? I call my realtor and tell her I need to move. Now, in hindsight, that might have been an overreaction. The good thing is I had a shovel. You see, sometimes you have things that you really need. 
I gingerly go back outside, and Kona is up on the table. So just a minute. Oh, she's wet. Must be raining again. And um, Kona, I can't see. Just a minute. I got to pause. I take this shovel, and I go back outside, and I stand as far away from the skin as I can, and I flip it with the end of the shovel and propel it over the fence. I never did see the snake, and I also don't go back in the yard very often after that. I'm sure that it was either a cobra or maybe a python. Now, you didn't see it, so don't judge. Just remember, me no like reptiles, rodents, or insects. Next week, as we continue my academic credit project, we get a new boss, and my personal life starts to evolve. That's pretty exciting for me. There is also some good news. Kona and I wish you a great week, and again, thank you for listening and sharing the podcast.